Hello, everybody. Happy Friday, TGIF. Whew, goodness. It's good to be here with you end of this week. We want to, hey, everybody, give a wave. Erica, we've got Miranda with us tonight. Uh, and you'll find out who she is in just a moment here. But first, we want to welcome everybody to our live broadcast tonight. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we'd like to invite you to find out more about us, Newark UPC. You can visit us at newarkupc.info. And there you can learn all about everything that we do and who we are. Um, we can share prayer requests with us. Uh, you can um, give financially, and you can also find out about our small groups and our kids' classes and a whole lot more. That's just a little taste of everything you can find out there. But we'd like to invite you to tune into that. And um, But tonight, Fridays are reserved for Friday Night with Friends. And I just saw a comment here as we were getting ready to gear up. Uh, somebody said, one of my favorite days of the week, we get to visit with friends. And that's exactly how I feel. And I know a bunch of us do as we hop on and enjoy a Friday night in. It's cold out there anyway, so you might as well be tuning in, get something to sip on and join us. So tonight we have a young lady. Her name is Miranda Dennis. She is a stranger becoming a friend to me but a friend of Erica Palmer's. And um, we're gonna, she's simply gonna come on and share a testimony with us. She's gonna share a little bit about who she is with us. Um, I'm gonna let Erica in just a minute here, share how she knows Miranda, but we just love to have friends on. We just love to get to know people. And so Miranda, you're a guest of honor tonight. Thank you for coming on. Um, I have a little blurb that I want to share that Miranda sent to me, and I'm going to go ahead and read that, and then we'll hear from Erica. Miranda Dennis is a licensed clinical social worker in the states of New York, Virginia, Alabama, and a certified dialectical behavior therapist, a certified clinical trauma professional, and a certified prepare and rich couples counseling facilitator. She is also the owner of Oasis Clinical Counseling Services. Ms. Dennis has over 18 years of social work experience and her practice goes beyond traditional talk therapy. Her vision is to promote real world skills and efforts to help individuals, groups, organizations, and communities progress towards their goals, thus promoting change. She's a committed to providing services that are tailored to fit the needs of those she serves. As an inspirational speaker, Ms. Dennis is very passionate about educating the church and community that both therapy and prayer can coexist as effective models of healing. She is further committed to influencing, inspiring Christian singles to live their best life and walk in their God-ordained purpose, regardless of their marital status. Ms. Dennis is an Amazon best-selling author and has written two books. The first is called Single and Faithfully Expecting Single and Faithfully Expecting Living Your Best Life as a Christian Single. It aims to encourage and inspire you to keep your head up, to hold on to your faith, and to be assured that your season of singleness is not a mistake and that God has designed an excellent plan for your life. She's also written My Ordered Steps, a dialectical behavior therapy-based wellness planner. This is a, a planner for Christians balancing social, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. That's always a good thing, but especially during a pandemic. Uh, so this planner is ideal for the individual who's seeking to strengthen their faith and improve their emotional stability from a biblical perspective while using key elements of an evidence-based treatment model. And so this is the professional side of Miranda, as you can see an accomplished young lady and uh, lives an inspired and passionate life about um, different, several different things. And so 
she has a lot to share with us. She has a lot she can share with us. Let me say that. I know we can't hear everything about Miranda in one night, but um, certainly as a professional, she has a lot to offer. Um, but the other side of things, she is also a friend to many, I'm sure. And so I'd like to hear from Erica. Erica, just take a minute or two to share with us how you and Miranda, your paths crossed and you've become friends. Uh, well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to our broadcast tonight. Um, well, Miranda and I, we met in New York, where um, in Rochester, New York, um, at the church up there, the an apostolic church up there. So that's basically how we met. Um, just we clicked instantly because we just I don't know. <laughs> but um, that's mainly how I know her through New York. So when I how many years ago is this now then? Uh, <laughs> 2005 okay no, wait no 2008 I think Aaliyah was three so 2008 yeah 2008 that's great yeah, and, and let's see that was before you moved away or she moved from New York first Erica did you so move you, first you got married first didn't yeah you? I got married mm-hmm, mm-hmm in 2009 of May. And then I think you moved after, I think. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's neat. We always love to see how the church can bring people together um, and paths cross. So that's wonderful. And over the years, you guys have just stayed in touch, you know, probably through like Facebook. Facebook is great. That's mainly where we have Facebook. (laughs) Great. No, that's, I'll tell you what, without that, I mean, I love my friends, but without that, uh, I use that to keep in contact. You know, as I've moved several times in my life, it's just a really nice tool uh, to keep in contact. So, well, thank you, Erica. Um, if you'd like to, to greet everybody, and I think at this point, we've heard a little bit about you, um, but we just love to hear what you prepared for us today. We're just gonna chit chat, have a conversation, have some fun. Um, and I know, I think it was last week or the week before you had a speaking engagement. So speaking is not foreign to you, Miranda. She, you know, she's not gonna have a problem. She's not gonna have a problem. She's speaking not foreign to her. So I'm going to hand it over to you and we'd love to hear from you. Okay. Well, hello everyone. Uh, thank you to, uh, Newark, uh, UPC for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to join you for Friday night with friends. And um, no, you're right, Meg. There's probably a lot I could say. Uh, I I tend to, as a therapist, be a talker. I'm a good listener too, but tend to be a talker. And like Erica spoke about, her and I uh, met at New Life Assembly in Rochester, New York, many many moons ago. And it um, for me, that's where my my personal relationship with with Christ really started. I think all my life, you know, my family, everybody is, is, as far as I know, everybody's a Christian, (laughs) but my personal walk with God uh, started in Rochester, New York at New Life Assembly. And one of the things that I share to, as part of my testimony to a lot of people um, I was a person that was filled with a lot of anger. People look at me now and they're like, but you're so nice. <laughs> I was not nice. I was, I was a bully. I just, I fought like physically. I would fight um, and, and just like terrorize people. I, I really was just so angry uh, about many things in my life. Um, I, up until about eight years old, after, from eight until my adult life, really, I didn't really have a good connection with uh, my biological parents. There were, I was in several different homes, different people took me in, and some family members and some not family members, but never do I recall someone um, sitting and, and talking with me Uh, as far as like a therapist, but I just was angry. Like why, you know, here's this angry eight-year-old, angry 10-year-old, angry 17-year-old, just angry. And 
that was how I protected myself. That's how I, I built walls up. I didn't let people in. And I, I, I was a teenager, probably about 16. And I, I was, I don't know, probably being angry or mean or rude about something. And the question was posed to me, why are you so angry all the time? Mm. I was like, I'm not angry. Like it literally didn't cross my mind that I had an anger problem. I was like, what are you talking, mother? Like you're so angry. And I was like, well, people didn't do bad things or wrong things and it wouldn't, you know, I, it was very easy to blame other people and not take personal responsibility. It's very easy to blame other people instead of looking at the person in the mirror and saying, what's going on with you? It's very easy to blame other people than, than to fall on your knees and mm. cry out to God and ask for help and control over your emotions. It's so much easier to just blame everyone else mm -hmm. and, and not take that personal responsibility. And I was like, I couldn't really be offended because it was true, <laughs> but I, I literally did not recognize that that was a problem. I thought, well, life has been tough. And so I'm a tough person. I'm a strong person. And this is just, I, I just rationalize the, the anger and integrate it. It had become so part of my life that I didn't, I still loved God. I still prayed. We, you know, I went to church, all of that, but never, 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 never did I think that anger was that strong in my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I was invited to church, did a, a Bible study with um, one of the young ladies. I think she was probably over youth at that time, Vivian. I don't know. Do you remember if Vivian was over youth? Vivian was into all kinds of ministry. Who knows what she was doing at that point? But she volunteered to give me a Bible study. Thank God for Vivian. And um, I, I mean, I was thinking Bible study. Well, yeah, I need to know what the Bible says about life. How, how do I make it into heaven? What, something is wrong with me and there's got to be more. Like God is huge. Like I always believed that God was real, that he is, is this big, big, big God. He can do anything. So what, is, what, what do I have to do to be with him? That's all. I, what do, tell me what do I have to do so I can be with him? And not feel like this. And now let, let me ask Miranda, because you mentioned being uh, in, you know, different family homes or homes of your family members, but then some non-family members, you know, starting around the mm -hmm. age of eight, it sounded like. Yes. Um, and then you mentioned going to church when you were younger, but mm -hmm. then you mentioned being invited to, I'm guessing you were invited to an apostolic church as yes. a teenager. Yep. As a teenager. And who yes. invited you? Was it like a school friend or? Um, it was a Dunbar family. So I had, um, I was in ninth grade or going into my ninth grade year when I was introduced to that family. And um, a couple of the girls went to school. I went to school with them as well. Okay. Um, and then we, I think, you know, they just invited me. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, sure you know probably like a youth thing that's usually how it starts oh we're having a youth thing or oh we're having something at the church and you, you go I mean I don't have a problem going um it's to something fun at church sure sign me up you know <laughs> and um and eventually I actually ended up um they ended up opening up their home to me and mm -hmm. um they were already established members at um NLA is what we call it at NLA and they opened their home to me and I um, lived with them for four years uh, and, and really a total transformation in my life took place. I was baptized in Jesus name. I got the Holy Ghost. I learned how to drive I learned how to cook. I learned how to do banking. I filled out college applications. I went to, you know, like all, all of the life things um, that set me up for who I am today is they are a huge component of that. And they literally, they didn't really know me actually when they allowed me to, to come live with them. Didn't even know, didn't even know me. Um, at that point, I, between eighth and ninth grade, I was living with my mom again and an incident took place. And so she was just gone again. And 
I didn't tell anybody for like, I don't know, almost a week. So I was li like living by myself basically. And um, they found out. <laughs> and I was like, and you know, you don't tell anybody when bad things go on, especially you don't put your business in the street to strangers for sure. And um, Mrs. Dunbar drove over and was like, pack your things. <laughs> I was like, pack my things. And I literally had a garbage bag, like a black garbage bag, threw a bunch of stuff in there mm -hmm. and moved in with them. Literally, it was supposed to be temporarily. <laughs> and, um, you know, her and I talked about this a couple of times years later. And she was like, I don't know what possessed me to do that. Cause she literally, they did not know me. I was a stranger really. And it was absolutely just the love of God. Like just, mm -hmm. and there was complete peace. And just, I, it was literally the hand of God. I, there's no, there was, there's no way to other explain it other than that. And so I'm was so- Was the young lady that, um, taught the, or was it a young lady at church who taught you the Bible study? Was this yeah, part of Vivian. the family or separate? No, no, no. Okay. To she totally separate person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once you go to, especially at, at least in my experience, when I've ever gone to an <laughs> apostolic church, everybody's your friend. <laughs> you know, everybody wants to, to talk to you and be in your face and invite you to things. And yeah. I felt so much love. Now, remind you, remember, I was a person filled with anger. So I'm mm. like a little suspicious of like all these people come. What do you want from me? And nobody wanted anything from me. Mm, that's powerful. Nobody wanted anything. Nobody asked me for anything. They literally just loved me. Just loved me. And it's hard to receive love if you are a person filled with anger so it, it it was I was like okay when are they gonna ask me to leave didn't come other than when it was I turned 18 it's like you're going you're going to college or you're doing something you know <laughs> you're not staying here for free no <laughs> but I think that's most parents you need to do something with your life yeah and, um and so, yeah, so it, it's an amazing part of my testimony that I, I, I don't probably share a lot um, other than to, like, this is probably the most public <laughs> um, part of the, my life testimony that people um, are hearing. And some people that I am currently friends with may not even know this part of my life. Um, and so hopefully this touches lives all over because I'm learning not to be quiet on the amazing things that God has done for me. And not just the current things, the things in my past are the foundation and they have been the stepping stone for the person that I am today. And without those old pains, those old wounds, those old scars, this person, this Miranda would not be in existence. Sometimes it's it's tough to to go back and to remember, which is probably why I, I I avoid sharing. At the same time, there's such a beautiful, um, I don't know, just something beautiful about a testimony because I know my my life is not my own. It is for others. It's for others' victory. Uh, sometimes people look at the outside and they're just like, wow, you do this, you do that. I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, the tears I had to cry, you know, the battle scars I have. And yet here I am. God has allowed me to use that as a form of, of ministry to those that are around me because I, I can relate to a lot of different people. Um, but if I never open my mouth and I never share that, then how, how does the goodness of God reach the masses? Um, so I, I just, well, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking, because part of your, um, the blurb here that I had was you're an inspirational speaker. And mm -hmm. so I thought, well, oh, I wonder if, um, I was going to ask, is this part of what you share as an inspirational speaker? Um, or is your, is, is that, uh, is the subject matter of what you share as an inspirational speaker more related to your, um, counseling services 
It's it's been a mixture of both. More recently, mm-hmm. I have been asked to do more speaking engagement with churches, and so naturally they want to know your testimony. And so I'm I'm you know the the I'm being stretched, <laughs> stretched beyond hiding behind just the professional because it's easy to do that. I mean, I can talk about therapy and DBT and all those wonderful things and CBT and, you know, all that. I can talk about that for days. And, and that's good. That's good. It has its place. My passion really is the integration of the word of God. And so even again, like in this, in this stretching season, I'm learning to, I really need to share my story, share my testimony, because it it all comes together. It's all, it's a full circle. Um, I I could tell you stories about, you know, my mom and I, our relationship reconciling. She even took DBT classes and then I'm trained in DBT and, you know, things would, I would, you know, get down in the dumps about something and she'll say, you know, a a quick line from DBT. And I'm like, mom, I'm the therapist. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, we, we have a, a wonderful relationship now. Both my parents um, actually have a uh, better relationship with than I did because I allowed God to re- change me, to, to take the anger, to take the bitterness, to, to take all of that because that's, it's too heavy of a burden to carry. I, I can only imagine carrying that and in, in, into my adult life. I'm 40. Like mm-hmm. that, you, you have to release the things of the past. Otherwise they crush you. And I don't want to be crushed by bitterness. I don't want to be crushed by anger. I don't want to be crushed by any of those things. So yes, I, I had to, to pray, but also in my clinical work and becoming a social worker, we had to do the hard work ourselves. We had to be, we had to be questioned. We had to, you know, I, I went to, um, um, Al-Anon meetings. I don't know those mm-hmm. were, and that was a part of my assignment. And I was like, I, Al-Anon is for um, teenagers and children uh, who have parents who have addiction issues. And, and so I didn't learn about Al-Anon until I was in school. And so I went to Al-Anon for a project, but I was like, I made this for myself. So part of my, my own personal healing came through that, came through being at the altar came through allowing myself to be loved, but I had to deal with, with this. I had to deal with the heart mm-hmm. issues that I had. And that came out of my clinical work um, and studying to be a social worker. And then in my own therapy as well. Yeah, so I can, I can really hear that balance. You talk about um, saying that you, um, I underlined it here, you're passionate about educating the church and community that both therapy and prayer can coexist as effective methods of healing. Um, And I was going to, just to, to kind of go back to um, you started with your story as an angry uh, child turned into, you know, teenager. Mm -hmm. And then you had this, um, uh, you uh, were invited to church and this family took you in at church and you were given a Bible study by someone and you said there's the church poured out love um, and didn't ask for anything in return. You weren't looking for mm-hmm. anything, but, but to just, you know, genuinely happy to have you with them yeah. and a part of their assembly. And that's great. That's the way it should be. But I was thinking when, um, when would you say the, the shift, so to speak, started kind of turning from anger into um you know, healing, I guess, from that, or? It took um, years, years, mm-hmm. years. And um, it, and it's easy to feel like you're, you are well and that everything is, is healed and you have forgiven and you don't have any bitterness until something happens that takes you right back to that moment. And it's like, oh, until you recognize that something that you are doing subconsciously came from an old wound. You thought that you, I I thought, Uh I thought it's gone. And then somebody says something that you see something, you smell something takes you right back to that moment. Uh Uh-huh. 
you think so this is a process it and, and life is a process i don't know anything that's not a process um and so so it i would say it started for me um when i got baptized and i was about i think i was about 17 at that point i think i was just turning 17 and i actually got baptized and i came i, I there's no Anybody that's been baptized can tell you this, but there's there's no explaining the liberty and the freedom. Like I can picture it now. First of all, I was mm. freezing cold in February, so this month is actually my spiritual birthday. I out of that water, shaking and shivering. It, it wasn't it wasn't the Holy Ghost because I was cold. No, <sighs> just free, free. Like I literally felt the weights just gone they weren't there anymore um and all of us can experience that all and and we have the choice to either leave those weights there or pick them back up and i was like i'm not picking this up this i'm not feels too good yeah i don't want to lose this um and and i'm gonna be with jesus oh sign me up sign me up right now because i I need to know that I can always have this. And so um, I, I say all that to say that was the catalyst. Not the end. It just was the catalyst. And every day, every moment, I have to constantly, consciously choose to, to be in this present, to, to believe the promises of God, to use my skills, to release myself um, from holding things that I'm not no longer bound by and I don't have to hold. Mm, that is so true. You know, I, I'm thinking about the people that listen in on our broadcast. Many of it, many of the people who are listening in tonight are members at Newark UPC um, here in Newark, Delaware. But we have other listeners um, too. Some are new, uh, some uh, are uh, our apostolic churches around, you know, around the country, even some from around the globe. And so we know that God's spirit is what draws us. You know, I don't want to uh, take away from that. God's spirit is, is what draws us. But I was thinking about, you said you had gone to church before, before the apostolic church. You had gone to church before, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You All my life, we've yeah. been in, we, we, we go to church. Go to church? That's what yeah. we do. We go to church in my family. We don't do nothing else. <laughs> We're going to church. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. So, you know, I, you have been to a couple different, you know, kind, yeah. probably a couple different kinds of churches and with different people. But aside from the spirit of God that draws us, and, you know, we find that in scripture, but, um, what was it about, and you mentioned the love of the church, mm -hmm. but what was it about the um, apostolic church that, because obviously that became your spiritual home. I mean, mm -hmm. you were, your new birth experience was there. Absolutely. And so what about the church kind of um, also um, drew you in? Because just as a Christian, me, you know, personally, and as somebody who's a member of a church that you know, I, I believe it's a pretty nice one, you know, but it's good for us to hear when people come mm -hmm. in, you know, what, what drew you, what kept you there? What, what made it your family? Uh, again, like you, I, I can't, I, I can't explain the kind of love that I felt acceptance, like, because I didn't, I did, I wasn't told that I had to change anything. I wasn't told that, you know, I, I look back at pictures and I was like, Oh man, I was looking like I was a gangbanger. Nobody told me. No, <laughs> no one told me. Uh, <laughs> In the moment, we always think we look good, and then we look back, and you're like, "That was just a bad. That was a no-no." No. Nobody told me. Who let me leave the house looking like this? <laughs> and and mind you, I'm living with the Dunbar, you know, the Dunbar family, and so no one was like, "You can't wear that to church." Um, Sweet. Oh. So I, I was completely accepted, uh, the good, bad, and ugly, all of it. Um, and right. it was ugly. It was ugly sometimes. And the, so the love, the acceptance, and then being genuine, those would be the three things. 
I would say, I was like, these people are real. They, they really mean what they say, they, they, their character. There's something different about the character um, and the quality of leadership. The, there's, there's something different. And I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna start going to this church. And I would go, I would go to different um, youth meetings or I would go to a service. And then, of course, as I got my Bible study, I was like, well, I didn't know that about the Bible or I didn't um, didn't have that understanding before. And so you go where you're fed. And so I was being spiritually fed so much goodness that I um, it, it, it was annoying. It's like connecting. Oh, I'm sorry, Miranda. <laughs> uh, I, I apologize. My uh, computer just. Oh, turned me off and I turned me back on. So welcome back. No. <laughs> I'm back. I'm all right. Sounds like it was good. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, yeah. Those would be the main things, the love being genuine and accepting. And obviously the word uh, just being fed, spiritually being fed and, and that releasing of the, the anger. I was like, wow, those weights were gone. They were gone. Was it easy? No, it's not easy to stop being the person that you had been at that point, 17 years of my life. I was sure, like, sure. this is new. And I don't know these people, they might be crazy. You know, <laughs> they might not be real. Let me, you know, and I would go and I st- actually probably started going when I was probably 16, actually, when I started going a little bit more regularly. And then I was, it took me a while. So I was like, mm, I have to see. And, I, and, I, and it was consistent, consistent. It sounds like they were patient, you know, with you too, <laughs> like you said. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're patient, and you, some, you were too, you know, with them. But, you know, it, um, like you said, everything's a process. Mm-hmm. And so patience, it really is a virtue because Absolutely. Uh, without patience, we might really miss out on something God has for us or, yes. you know, or what we can do for others or see God work in someone's life. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, Erica, how are we doing on? We actually have a few questions, actually. Okay. So I am going to go with this one. One says, um, what do all your acronyms mean behind your name? <laughs> and then can you go a little bit into what uh, DBT is and what it stands for and just describe it? Sure. So um, I, uh, I'm i a licensed clinical social worker. So that's the LCSW. Actually, I'm a, a licensed or I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker. Also, different states have um, different licensure titles. So technically, there could be four, but I'm I'm not I'm not just gonna brag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still you know I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and so that's the LCSW, and then the certified dialectical behavioral therapy. So that's the CDBT, and then the CCTP is. Uh, certified clinical trauma professional. So those are what those mean. And as far as uh, DBT, so that stands for dialectical behavioral therapy. In in short, it is uh, teaching people to live in the present moment, be in the present moment, to manage emotions um, mindfully so that you are not being overtaken by really intense emotions. It teaches people how to deal with stressful situation in the moment without making them worse. So we call those distress tolerance. Uh, I'm pretty sure all of us could use distress tolerance and emotion regulation and mindfulness, living life with a pre- in the present uh, moment. <laughs> and then, um, also, the interpersonal effectiveness skills. So how to build relationships, ask for the things that you want and keep your self-respect. Mm. So that's, that's the general. Now it, it, it is a lot more complicated than that. And typically when I uh, do a DBT group, People are it's like, this is a lot of work because it you have to be real with yourself. You have to 
look, be ready to look your emotions in the face, own them, check them to make sure that they, that you are actually in reality. And um, sometimes that's hard to do because if you've been in a, in what we call emotion mind for, for so long, then you are going to be very reactive. And so it's, it is a little bit difficult to be able to decipher if something is real or imagined. So that's why we focus on distress tolerance. That's why we focus on mindfulness because you wanna, you, there's always this um, brain body connection happening. So if you're constantly in emotion mind, then you're con constantly aroused, then you are sending a distress signal to your brain and your brain will do its job which is going to be what? To release stress hormones. And then you're gonna be amped up all the time, looking for the bear, ready to fight, which is what I was doing until mm. I learned to be able to release some of that. And that would be the emotion regulation portion of it. Mm. In short. <laughs> it, yeah, in short, right. No, it's, but um, you know, it does sound like a lot of work, but usually the things that are worth it are Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. Okay. Did I answer all the, the, the last? Yeah, they okay. want to just, they just wanted a brief description. Okay. Awesome. So, and then um, another question is, do you have any brothers and sisters? I am technically an only child. I was not raised as an only child because I was raised with my cousins and other people who are like my brothers and sisters. And so um, while biologically I'm an only child, but I have lots and lots of brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. They claim me because I, you know, somebody needs to claim me. <laughs> somebody help me. Pick me, pick me. I love you. I love that. I love your story about living with the dumb bars. My sister and I, I have a twin sister um, and we took in a friend in high school that we had met. We just moved to a different state. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, she lived with us for four years too. We're still, you know, we're still good friends with her now. We've all, you know, I've got our lives and yeah. stuff going on, but, um, yeah, she came, came into church and, but we took her in and we just laughed her, her mom lived right across the street. She lived mm -hmm. in our house, you know? So <laughs> I just awesome. love that story. Oh, and I wasn't the only one they took in. I, I, I kept bringing in more people. <laughs> That's and usually how it works for families like that. Yeah. Yeah. Room for people. <laughs> they took in their uh, great niece. Uh, my friend came. We lived there for a while. Then um, I had an exchange student come and live with us for a while. Um, lots of people. We, people just kept coming. It, it, it was one of the places that several people, and, and prior to me being there, I, I learned later on that they had taken other people in. So it, it's like, I guess they were just the, the, the um, unofficial, unofficial orphanage. <laughs> but oh that, yeah. They had, that's part of what their ministry did. And whether they knew it or thought of it as ministry in the moment, that it was truly a ministry to open your home to others. So. Oh, absolutely. One of the lives that passed through. And are you still in contact with them? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. great. And even my mom, my mom was like, did you text Mrs. Dunbar happy Mother's Day? <laughs> so yeah, even my mom will, will call or text them as well. That's sweet. That's just beautiful. It really is. Yeah. Um, what else you got for us, Erica? Okay, so did the Dunbar's become your legal guardians or were they simply willing to take you in spite of the problems they could have faced? Yes, they actually became my legal guardians. Um, I forget what it's called. Not um, Like we didn't have to go through court or anything like that because my mom, we just, it was like a no, notary kind of deal. She just signed the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Erica, I just got to say, I was thinking about this and she was talking and I, I didn't say anything, but now I see um, since I see Lil commenting and, you know, the Coopers have taken in a lot of people over the years and my family was one of them. When we first moved here, we called it, the, or I called it lovingly, the Cooper commune. 
<laughs> and, um, you know, you let, thank God for people who have that ministry to take others in, you know, whether it's shorter or longer term, mm -hmm. um, and no, and no matter the circumstance, you know, but Absolutely. lots of, lots of people have been through their house here. So they're kind of, they're kind of our Dunbars here yeah. <laughs> in Delaware, the Coopers. Love awesome. them, so, okay. And then we have, uh, do you think that your past experiences help you to relate and help your clients? Absolutely. Oh, yes, 100%. And one of the assessments that often therapists will use is called a ACE assessment, and it talks about adverse childhood experiences. And so it'll talk, it'll, it's 10 questions. I think they've added a couple extra questions, but it measures different parts of your life. And most therapist or helping professionals or mental health people have at least a four, which is an indication of adverse childhood experiences. So most people who are in the helping profession have used that as a catalyst for their, their helping, right? Um, I remember being in high school and we would do like uh, career testing, I forget what it was called back then, to see which career would be the best career for you. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And so I always got um, um, something in criminal justice, attorney, judge, um, teacher, or social worker, something like that. And as I began, I began my social work career, one of the things that I learned was that every child needs at least one caring adult in their life. And that person, even if everything else is, is going wrong and they have one caring adult, they can make it. And I was like, no way. Mm. And, and then I looked back and I thought, man, even though it may not have felt like I had any caring adults at certain points of my life, I did. And it was different people at different times. I, I remember I had a professor or a high school teacher, Mrs. Farrell, and uh, oh my goodness, was she just worrisome. However, and she and she had this little like little German accent, and she'd be like, "Oh, Miranda, you can do better than this." I cannot. I, this is not a German accent. This is just. <laughs> interpretation of her uh, voice sounded in my head because I was so annoyed. Oh, Miranda, you can <laughs> go to class. <laughs> However, she was there. She was there even after I graduated uh, high school. She was there. She was one of the caring adults. I graduated college. She was there. Oh, and, and so she just, you know, I got my first apartment and she's like, I'm going to put a card in the mail. She was there, you know, I'm like, <laughs> so there, there are wow. people in your life, even if you feel like there's nobody else, you really only need one caring adult. And because God is a God of abundance, he gave me several care, caring adults, my, you know, several family members, several people outside of my family that became those caring adults in my life that really held me. In the moment, I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. Didn't, I didn't, you know, it's just all I could feel was anger. Looking back, that's how I made it, where different people stepped up at different points in my life. Yes, that is so true. I'm just, you know, you talk about it, it makes you think about the ones you can't help, but to start thinking about those names in your head as you're talking. So I'm sure everybody listening is thinking about, hi, I have one of those, or I had five of them, or, you know, mm -hmm. so that's so true. Okay, and then we have, uh, this is coming from the executive pastor, Sister Leela. As a reformed angry person, what advice can you give to the church about ministering to angry people, especially angry young people? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, you know, the, the first thing that I think you have to know is you have to know your own level of sensitivity, your own level of irritability. Because first of all, young people always work people's nerves. So if you're already a sensitive person to and, and you're easily irritated, that might not be your ministry. No, no. <laughs> so let somebody else do that part. No, just, but in reality though, you, do, you have to know your own level of, of irritability and sensitivity. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, angry people are going to notice. 
they are going to notice the slightest comment, the, the look, uh, a noise, and it could be a misinterpretation. So you wanna make sure you come from a place of pure love and genuine love. And, and, and really have, you've gotta have a, the, be like a duck really, and just let things roll off of you because angry people are angry and they're going to say mean things. They're going to be rebellious potentially if they're young adults. And so you don't make sense to them and they don't make sense to you. No, (laughs) you know, Mm -mm. like the logic is like, it's right. You, you have to get on their level where they are, because if you don't, first of all, if you don't have a a level of trust, then you need to build that bridge because you're not going to find out anything from them. They're not going to tell you anything because they don't trust you. And if it's always, don't do this, don't do that. Tell them what they can do. They've I was heard. just going to ask, how, how would we build that trust? But there's one way, tell them what yeah. they can do. What you, this is what you can do. This is what we do here. This is, you know, this is how we, in our youth group, this is what we do. And, and you've, you have to have some, uh, you know, the, 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 the yellow caution light proceed with caution, right? That you have to have so much gentleness. And obviously you want to be praying for them, of course. And you can ask them, is there something you would like for me to pray with you about? Sometimes it's just a simple question. Is there anything that you want me to know about you? Is another great question. Tell me about X. What we often do, we, we ask closed-ended questions. How was your day? Fine. Well, you wanted a conversation, but you didn't ask an open-ended question. Tell me mm-hmm. about your day. Oh, how do you guys do things in your family? What's a new which, you know, if, if you're doing something and maybe you're getting a little, there's a little friction, what do you think we should do? Involve them in the problem solving process, mm-hmm. right? So then now they take some ownership of something and they feel valuable that you actually are going to listen. It's like, wow, they want to know what I think. Wow. Okay. And, and allow them the space to do that. Because if you ask, and then they start sharing and you interrupt or you change it. You're like, no, that's not going to work. Then you, you, it's going to be the stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. Yeah. You have to build that trust first. But I was going to say, I think, I think that's great advice for all teenagers because all teenagers <laughs> think they know everything anyway. So if you just ask them mm-hmm. to let, let, let them let, just tell me, tell me how to do it. Tell me everything, yeah. you know, they're going to love mm-hmm. you. <laughs> ah. Yeah, no, absolutely. but that, that's some great tips. That's some great tips. Listening, you know, like you're saying, and just being interested in what they have to say, even if mm-hmm. it's Lala, you know, mm-hmm. just be interested in what they have to say. I think absolutely. that's really, really great tips. Some great tips there. Um, we have someone that asked, um, what is, in relation to DBT, what is the definition of mindfulness? What is that actually? Yeah, so <clears throat> so there's a couple things. The, the main thing is, the goal, well, the goal is to live life with a participating sense of awareness. Aware of what you're thinking, aware of what you're feeling, aware of what you're doing, aware of what you're avoiding aware of what's happening in that moment. And the whole point of that is often when we are, we, we are a multitasking society. Let me do this and type this up and do this. And I got five things going. And, and, and neuroscience tells us when you're multitasking you're, and you actually reduce yourself to about a seven-year-old. So it's not actually the most effective thing to be doing. However, we do it all the time. And so when you're, when, and there are, there are some people who can multitask and be present with all of those things. I probably know one person that can do that. She does it well. I'm not that person. I have to be focused on what I'm doing so that I can do the, get the job done effectively, correctly, 
the first time so I don't have to keep redoing it. So when we're talking about mindfulness, if you're being mindful and living in that present moment, then you're making less mistakes. You're more mindful and in control of what you're thinking instead of your thoughts running, 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 and you're confused and, and scatterbrained or your emotion being emotion driven all the time, then you have no control of your emotions and your emotions are controlling you. But when you're mindfulness, you choose to, you choose what you pay attention to. You choose what you give energy to, in short. Hope that makes sense. Mm, it's the best news I've heard all day. I have never been a multitasker <laughs> and they always want to know that on a job application. I'm like, no, I don't multitask. Can I get the job anyway? So best news all day to me. Yay. Well, the fact that you said multitasking reduces your mind to a seven-year-old. Wow. That's, makes That's sense how I now. feel. It makes sense to makes me sense, now when right? I try to multitask. Makes sense. It's like, uh, but we, we're made to feel like if you can't multitask, something is wrong with you. Right. And so there's this unspoken mm -hmm. pressure that you're supposed to master five things at the same time that's not even realistic it's not mm, realistic love it love it that ministered to me <laughs> <laughs> okay uh we have another question uh do you find that anger issues are on a rise due to covid and does your field have a different solution for now versus the past Ooh, that's a good question. So um, I will say a, a lot has been on the rise since COVID, right? Uh, whether that be um, domestic violence, because now you are at home with your spouse 24 hours a day versus maybe five hours a day, <laughs> big difference. Um, so that has been on the rise anxiety has shot through the roof of course fear of the unknown what's going to mm -hmm. happen when is this going to be over um there of course there has been depression um that has been on on the rise as well and so i, I would say tell me something that might not be on the rise i, I don't know what isn't uh, <laughs> rise in in my field and so Myself, many of my coders have seen a huge increase of people seeking therapy, which is because that says to me, people want help. They want to know how to manage this thing. How do, how do I get through this in, in, in a way that is, is emotionally healthy for me, in a way that's healthy for my family, in a way that husband and I can communicate better? we can parent better together so kudos to all those people that are are reaching out and getting in therapy to address those things instead of what what is a is a um a potential concern is people are experiencing increase in anger or anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts whatever it is and mm. then normalize it as far as pandemic and then, then don't get the help that you need. Just because mm -hmm. it's a pandemic, like the situation doesn't mean, and because everybody's dealing with it, it's a global pandemic. That does not negate the fact that anxiety showed up to your door and you have to deal with it. So how we're doing, dealing with it, uh, more adding more therapy adding more therapists a lot of practices are adding more therapists to deal with the volume of people that are coming in i actually my my employee and i we do all of our sessions virtually and that for me that has actually what we've noticed people don't stay in therapy as long because it's like it's 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 very focused so it's more, it's, it's a lot more focused for us. That's what we're experiencing. Not, not everyone's experiencing that, but it's a, a lot more accountability because we're like, hey, we, it's not as um, tangible of having somebody or relational as having somebody in your face. Then you tend to, you know, like, oh, how is this going? It's, it's more relaxed. It's traditional talk therapy. 
when we get on this on this Zoom or we use WebEx, when we get on WebEx, okay, uh, this was the homework from last week. Let's do a quick check-in. How did you, mm. you know, it's very structured and people are finding benefit from that. And then people, it, it, it takes away the stigma of, oh, I gotta be on the couch and talk about my whole life story. I don't, it, and it takes away that. And people are like, oh, I can come in and get what I need and I don't have to be here forever. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Therapy yeah. is what you need. It's not about having to lay on someone's couch and talk about everything and dredge up every terrible thing. Now, I will say, if you have trauma and you have not dealt with it, then yes, you probably need to deal with that because that's probably the thing that's underneath that's rumbling and bumping against life right now and coming up. So you probably would need to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have another question from Sister Betty. Uh, she said that she has several family members who are working towards a career in social work and counseling. How would you advise them to avoid being overwhelmed with their patients' problems? Oh, yes. So the first, the second thing I learned, not first thing, but one, social work 101, do not work harder than your clients. Hmm. I learned that very early on. I don't work harder than my clients. So I match. Sometimes, sometimes I'm ahead and I'm pulling, like, no, this is what we're doing. Sometimes I am, but I match and I hold them accountable. So if you feel like I'm going to be the social worker and I'm going to save the world and I'm going to put on my cape and I'm going to fight bad policies and I'm going to, and that's great. We need people to do that. However, you also have to know your limit. You are one person. So there, we don't, there's not many people. I mean, you, you hear, let's just take a, a, a regular example. There's no self-made millionaire. Every, they, they got there because they hired people to work underneath them. They outsourced things. They, you know, they built a company. They didn't become a millionaire alone. They had people working with them. Same concept. You can't save the entire world. You have to partner with people. It's not your sole responsibility to do all of, provide all of the clinical skills for the person helping and do the work. That doesn't make sense. So you have to know your own limits. And then you want to make sure that you do your own work because a lot of times there'll be, you know, counter transference. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I can relate so much to this person. And that's your own trauma talking that you didn't deal with. So you're trying to overcompensate and do your work by working with, no, no, no. Do go to therapy, go, go to therapy, go to therapy. Cause that's what you need before you can help someone else. Mm, those are good words there. Really. I mean, in several contexts, uh, those can apply, you know, don't work harder than, uh, well, in some contests, it's not a client, but, mm -hmm. you know, that's really uh, wonderful advice. And, um, you know, because any context that you're serving, even in the church context, you know, but yeah. any context where yeah. you're giving out, you know, it's, um, it's hard not to be get uh, fatigued and, mm -hmm. you know, or what do they call it? Compassion fatigue, Compassion. Yeah. you know, things like that. It's just mm -hmm. life can be burdensome that way, but um, it's hard when you care so much and that other person doesn't care as much as you do. That's hard <laughs> yeah. for them, you know, yeah. your, your care yeah. for them, but really wise words there. Uh, we have yourself. one more question. Okay. Um, what, what are some of the favorite ways you serve your church? Oh, um, so <laughs> I, I have done lots of different ministries over, over the course of the, man, uh, church history, I guess. I was going to say the <laughs> 20, 20 years. I was trying to think how long I've been um, apostolic. I can't even, didn't, I couldn't, couldn't, could not compute the number. So um, I'm going to actually talk about something I used to do a long time ago that I did not think I would enjoy is I worked in the public ministry. 
and (laughs) talk about arm strength that you need but it was fun I would say probably puppet ministry was one of the the most fun things I also enjoyed doing sound ministry and choir I think those were probably oh I did love nursery because the little babies um, <laughs> they're so cute. So those would probably be be my top ministries that I've served in. Oh, that does sound like fun. I think puppet ministry would just be hilarious. In fact, but you're right, the arm strength and that like lifting up. I mean, you need to get some it's, physical therapy up in there. You know, just think about altar calls. You know, when your arms are yes. up like this and altar call after ten minutes, you're like. Where are the altar workers to keep my arms up? (laughs) Somebody come hold my arms. That's funny, but but wonderful. That's fun. I like that question. Well, I think we're pretty much at eight o'clock. That was a fun one to end on. Um, But really fun Friday night with friends uh, with you tonight, Miranda. Thank you so much for taking time to come out and share with us. Thank you guys for inviting me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Erica her saying hey do you want to do this and I'm like yeah sign me up no yeah no Erica's got some fun hookups that was that was all God putting her mind in my head it's all God so sure was we're thankful for our friends and um and uh, and uh people who are willing to come on and have some fun and answer some questions and just get to know us so we really had a great time with you Miranda um to those of you who are listening Uh, We broadcast six nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday, um, and uh, Tuesday through Sunday, excuse me. And um, we are on at 7 p.m. those six weekday uh, nights and weekend. And so please join us. Um, We'll be back tomorrow night at 7 p.m. And we hope to have you with us. But Uh, As for right now, we just wish everybody a very happy weekend and a safe weekend, and we'll see you next time.